Welcome to the Painting Lines Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things tennis. Join Eric and Aiden in their discussion for updates on news and pop culture, and from hot takes to betting, they've got you covered. Ready? Set. Hey guys, welcome back to the Painting Lines Podcast. So last week we had a great conversation on pickleball and its dynamic with tennis. This week, we're going to be recapping the first week of Roland Garros. Uh, it's been a pretty good tournament so far. Aiden, anything anything you want to mention? Uh, what do you think? What have you seen? Give it to us. Like you said, I think it's been a great tournament so far. I mean, it's exciting because of the upsets. And I know you aren't the biggest fan of them. Like, I know you like to have the seeds get really far. I think that the seeds getting upset makes it more exciting because... It makes it more interesting to watch those earlier rounds. If you have a situation where the seeds are making it through every tournament and they're always the last eight, they're always the last four, it's always the same people, it makes those early rounds, they feel useless to watch because you know the outcome before it happens. But if upsets are happening at these big tournaments, it makes it more intense to watch those early round matches. And so that's why I think it's been a good tournament is because you want to watch all the matches because you never know what's going to happen. But obviously, you, there is the downside of the early upsets. You don't get to see those meeting of the Titans in the later rounds. And that's a bummer because I think those are when the top-level players end up playing their best tennis. Mm -hmm. No, I, you're right. I, I don't love seeing the upsets, but it has been a great tournament so far. I think the crowd has been great, too. It's very energetic. You know, They're not afraid to boo. They're not afraid to get pretty antsy. I also noticed that a lot of the French players that were playing, they would specifically boo against. And it even happened to Taylor Fritz later on in the tournament too. So once he beat the French player and then moved on to his next round, and he wasn't even playing a French player, they were still booing him even when he walked out onto the court, which I thought was pretty funny. But I love clay court tennis, and I love what I've been seeing so far. Yeah, and about that Fritz match, I mean – it was really interesting to see because he really played into it. He was doing the big hush celebration to the crowd. Clearly him kind of sinking into that villain sort of mindset because they obviously were so actively against him. I know, I know. And we've seen a lot of sportsmanship too. No no big blowouts, no uh, controversies or really, you know, stuff that we've seen in previous tournaments. Yeah, well, I think, I think that's because Runa has had less matches so far. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. <laughs> We'll see. Yeah. All right. We've seen a lot of upsets too, huh? Yeah. Like, like we were saying, I mean, Medvedev losing in that first round, that was crazy, but was it that surprising? I mean, we talked about after he won a couple weeks ago that there was the little bit of the issue with, oh, it's cold and damp and the clay is not the same as other clay court tournaments. And so that's maybe why he was able to succeed in it. But then all of a sudden he comes out and losing the first round to this Brazilian guy who's ranked 172nd in the world. What's going on there? A pretty massive upset, even if he's not a great clay court player. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I don't think, I think he needs to stop blaming the clay. Like I'm kind of sick and tired of every time Medvedev loses, he just blames the clay. Oh, I hate clay. I hate playing on the surface. You know, like grow up, man. If you're going to be a top player in the world, learn to love clay, learn to play on it. It's freaking half the season it's at a point where you might even start see seeing uh medvedev just skip the clay court season just be like <laughs> i don't want to play in these tournaments 
I don't really find success in them, obviously, other than the one big win he had. Uh, but if you skip that, you have this sort of weird ranking where he would only be ranked like <laughs> number eight in the world ever because he'd be missing an entire season. But yeah. he, when he's playing, he would be he'd be yeah, like number be. one or two. Yeah. Can Pretty. you can you go into that ranking system? Kind of explain explain to the fans how that works. Well, so the ranking system on the ATP tour is it's kind of for all of tennis. It's you have tournaments and it goes back a year essentially. So you get X amount of points for a tournament and those points stay on your record essentially for a year. So say you went really far in the French Open, for example, like Rude is experiencing this right now. Mm -hmm. Last year, he played in the final against uh, Nadal, right? Right. So now those X amount of points he got, like a thousand points or whatever it was, they age out after this tournament. So mm -hmm. however far he gets, if it isn't the final, he still gets, goes down in points mm -hmm. because wow. those points from last year are aging out. And so it's a really interesting system because someone like Struff, he made it so far in one tournament, right? And those points are going to stay with him for the entire year until next year. And that amount can hold him relatively high in the rankings. So all of a sudden, he doesn't have to play in as many qualifiers. He can get automatic seeding into a bunch of tournaments, right? And that allows him to have more opportunities to stay up there. Mm. So it's actually something I was really thinking about at this point is he got, I think, an automatic seeding into this tournament. Struff, right? Yes. You're talking about? And... I'm wondering whether he'll be able to actually take advantage of that. Yeah. Because if you can get that automatic ranking, I mean, it's something kind of with it's Shelton a, too. He mm -hmm. made it really far in the Australian Open, has a high ranking right now, and now he's getting automatic bids into these bigger tournaments. Mm -hmm. And he hasn't really been capitalizing on them because he's been losing all these matches in the first round. But if he was able to win maybe one or two matches in these big tournaments, all of a sudden that would stabilize his ranking at number gotcha. 30 or whatever it is. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. That, thanks for that. That was a great explanation. And just touching on Struff, I think he'll have a great grass court season based on the way he plays. He kind of reminds me of Nick Kyrgios, you know, he's got that monster serve and then very fast paced shots. So hopefully the grass will play in his favor and he can sustain that ranking. Because I, I, I want to see him do well. I'm a, I'm a Struve guy. Yeah, I, I think because it's, of the different services, it's mm -hmm. like if you have a really good clay court player, they could have an excellent clay court season, go into the grass court season, and they're ranked 17, let's say. Yeah. And then they go into the grass court season, and they lose in the first and second round. And then they go into the hard court season, and they lose in the first and second round. But they maintain around top 40 in the world mm -hmm. based on their clay court season. But it also just puts an insane amount of pressure on them for when they're in their good element. Because yeah. if they don't perform on that, then their ranking is just going to disappear. Right. And that's something that Kyrgios essentially thinks is unfair, you know, where he said that guys he hasn't even heard of on the tour have a better ranking than he does because they only play clay. Yeah. And that's I mean, such a big part of the season. Yeah. And I, I mean, remember, uh, in Andre Agassi's book, Open, he always talked about uh, the clay court rats or something like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the, he's like, there are people in these other countries, like clay court isn't that big in the US, but in countries like Spain, there are guys that are just absolutely dirty on clay. Yeah.
Yeah, South America too. Like, look at Jari from Chile. Look at all the Argentinians. The Brazilian who beat Medvedev. Like, exactly. They're sick on clay, but they can't mm-hmm. necessarily compete on the hard court that all the top players spend 99% of their time playing on. Yeah, no Americans left in Roland Garros. Yeah. At the time of the recording. Exactly. A lot of early exits. Early exits for other people too, like Felix Arger-Aliassime. I mean, losing the first round in straight sets. I know. I mean, Fognini's he's a good player, but I think you expect more out of FAA. Yeah, especially with the beginning of his year. Um, last year, he was on fire. I think he won like three or four tournaments in a row. So I thought he was going to you know, really break out this year in 2023, but haven't seen it yet. I think maybe we'll see it later on come like US Open on hard, but I guess clay just isn't his surface. So what else have you uh, seen from this early part of the tournament? Well, center, how about that? He's out. And then, um, you know, Tommy Paul, Johan Struve, Kitsmanovic, Demonor, they're all out right now. So that just blows open the bottom half of the draw. Like it's really anyone's tournament right now. It's all up for grabs. Yeah. I mean, and uh, you called that Jari win over Paul. That was was pretty cool to see. I know, right? (laughs) Pretty cool to see. He was the favorite, but like Tommy Paul is still ranked higher. So it's, it Mm -hmm. still feels like an upset. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I know. And the first set, Tommy Paul won 6-2. So as I'm watching, I'm just like, oh, I regret this. Yeah. You know, I was kind of, I was still rooting for Tommy Paul. Yeah. That's why, like you said, it was a win-win bets where you're like, if this one guy wins, I lose my bet, but I'm still happy that he won. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah. I may have another one of those at the end mm. of the episode. Okay. Another win-win. So what do you think? Rune, Rude, and Zverev all have a, a pretty decent shot to make it to the semifinal and final because I think they have a very sort of lucky draw, especially someone like Zverev. Who has he beaten so far in this tournament? I feel like I'm missing someone. I mean, he ha- he beat Tiafa, which is a pretty significant win right there. That's true. That's true. But other than that, yeah, he's had a pretty easy draw thus far. It's it's lucky for him because he's a player where I think he made the semifinal last year as well. When he broke his ankle. Yeah, so he made it super far last year. He's one of those players, like I was saying with Rude, where if he didn't make a good run this year, his ranking would just tank super quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm glad to see Zverev do as well as he's doing right now after that gruesome injury. Yeah, like, I don't know if you were watching, but it was cringy. It, it was almost like that Kevin Ware, not as bad as the Kevin Ware basketball injury, but still, like you could just see he rolls his ankle and then just flattens out, does not get up, doesn't even think about it. Like Nadal walks over to him, brutal injury, something you don't really see too often in tennis, you know, a non-contact sport. Yeah, I mean, and those are some of the worst injuries. It's just when. Mm-hmm some guys just running full speed. It's like how they always talk about how the ACL is a non-contact injury and it's just right. one of the worst. When you see someone go down and they weren't touched, it's almost worse than if they got hit. Yeah, I know. Cause their knee just buckles and you can just tell, like you can see the agony on their face too, like the pain that they're in. Exactly. But yeah, the surfaces too. So clay, there's gotta be a lot more slippages and injuries on clay than you would see versus a hard court. Maybe grass, you get a lot of injury slipping too. Hard court, even though it's hypothetically the worst surface to be on if you're going to fall, because clay and grass are a little bit more forgiving, they also have less grip 
people are just slipping all over the place on clay and grass. And that, that leads to way more injuries than you see on a hard court. Yeah, I know. So speaking of people that fall and slip all the time on grass courts, Djokovic has been uh, playing pretty well this tournament. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's had no real difficulty. He's yet to lose a set, but also there's an element of like, it hasn't been complete domination. Because mm -hmm. four out of the 12 sets he's played have gone to tie breaks. Like he's almost lost those sets. Obviously, it's, it's cool to see that he hasn't lost a set yet, but they've been relatively close in a lot of the matches. Yeah, it's interesting to see tennis is one of those sports where they display the score right there after. And you can tell like how close a game is. Because I feel like in most other sports, you're kind of just like, oh, the other team won, the other team won, or this guy won. It's very like black and white, which it is in tennis too. Like there is an obvious winner and loser, but you can tell by looking at the score of each set, like how the match went without even watching it, which I yeah. think is pretty neat. Yeah. Because it's like segmented into different sets, whereas you can look at a basketball game and see 100 to 102. Oh, wow, that's a close game, you know, high scoring game, good game. But you don't know how it went because you didn't see seven six six four oh four six five like you it, know the different scorings in the tennis it's also a thing where in basketball for example maybe they were up 110 to 85 and then they put in all their bench players and all of yeah. a sudden they come back and it's 120 to 115 and you're like oh it was a pretty close game and if you had actually watched it you would have known that it wasn't really a close game. One team was blowing out and the other team kind of came back mm -hmm. in garbage time. There isn't really that situation in tennis because you you can see exactly what happened yeah. throughout the match. Yeah, definitely. But speaking of domination, another one, Alcaraz, he's just been cruising through this tournament too. Yeah, only uh, lost one set, I think. Yeah, and his sets are very disproportionate too. He's winning 6-1, 6-2. Yeah, it's, that's going to be... An exciting matchup, it looks like, if they both make the uh, the semis. So I wonder if this will disadvantage them because they're not getting as much conditioning in. Like, yes, they're saving their legs, but also you're losing fitness by not playing as much. I think that doesn't really happen at, like, major tournaments like this because if you think about it, like, they're playing every other day and they're still going out there and they're playing for at least two hours, even if it is yeah, a I mean, three set a match. Five, yeah, that's true. So they're, they're going out and they're getting two hours of match play, which is like hard tennis. Mm -hmm. And then they're getting a rest day and they're going out and playing two hours of hard tennis. So it's, I think playing longer at a big tournament like this can only be a detriment because after four rounds, you've had eight hours of match play as a minimum. Mm-hmm. And so going longer than that, it's just going to start building up on your body. Yeah, that's true. And especially for Djokovic, who's older and more prone to injury, you know, he wants to play the least amount of sets as possible and have his court time reduced as much as possible. Exactly. Like if he had had three tough five set matches already, I would be very down on him making it to the final and winning. Mm -hmm. But the fact yeah. that he has not lost a set yet kind of gives me almost hope that he's going to be able to continue to succeed because in these last couple rounds i think it becomes more of a mental game and it's less about actually how fit you are it turns into mental exactly mm -hmm. so your personal opinion do you want to see Djokovic win this tournament i mean this will put him ahead of nadal i think it would also it would be his 
third Grand Slam on every surface, right? He'd be the only person to have ever done that. That's pretty cool. Well, what do you think? You you didn't answer the question. Do you want it? You didn't. I didn't ask if you think it would be cool. I want to see him beat Alcaraz. I'll say that much. I would like to see him. If they play in the semifinal, I'd be rooting for Djokovic. If he made the final, I think it would depend on the matchup. If Djokovic was playing Let's Zverev, Zverev. Yeah. exactly, Zverev, I think. I think at that point, I, I would be rooting for Zverev because I think it would be really cool to see Zverev win a, a Grand Slam. That is such a tough one. Ugh. Like, I love Djokovic. I know, I know. But I think Zverev deserves it. I think he's put in so much work and that US Open, he lost the team. Mm, I know. And after being up two sets. Yeah, I would be happy for him if he, if he won it. Oh, I'd be ecstatic for him. But both are pretty big milestones. You know, one's playing for their first grand slam the others playing for the all-time most grand slams but hey we can't get too ahead of ourselves they haven't even made it yeah i mean you you can't you can't overlook alcaraz no well well obviously it's kind of a toss-up in the upper half there i mean you still have Sitsipas in there you still have alcaraz yeah. you still have djokovic yeah. three guys that are honestly all tournament favorites i think there's a one matchup that's going to determine the bottom half and that's probably rune versus rude yeah even if zverev makes it to the semifinal, probably whoever comes from that matchup is going to be the winner. It's like last year, Djokovic played Nadal, I think, in the quarterfinals. And once Nadal beat Djokovic, you knew that he was going to win the tournament. I mean, I can't believe he beat Rude in three sets in the final. Yeah. And I think the last set was six love. It was ugly out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's tough to be playing against Nadal, yeah. though. I just want to see good tennis. My boy Tommy Paul's out, so. Yeah. I just want to see good tennis. Exactly. No uh, Grand Slam for the Americans yet. Nope. Nope. <laughs> All, All right, right. Let's jump into segments. Sounds good. You ready? Yeah. What's new in tennis for you, Eric? All right. I got something pretty good. So Brian Shelton, Ben Shelton's dad, uh, stepped down from being the head coach of University of Florida men's tennis oh. to coach uh, Shelton, to coach Ben. Okay. So he's quit his job and he's fully dedicating himself to focus on Ben Shelton, which it's pretty interesting because, you know, you see this a lot in tennis, the like father-son coaching dynamic. You have Pass and his dad, you know, Ben and his dad now, and um, Rude and his dad, Christian Rude, was actually a great Norwegian player back in the day. And then you even have like Nadal and his uncle too, right? Yeah, Uncle Tony. Yeah, and then Shapovalov and his mom too. Yeah. His, I mean, his mom's his coach. Well, I think it's one of those things where in tennis, since it's such an individual sport, you have these people coaching them from like when they're, they can hold a racket, all of a sudden yeah. their parent is teaching them to play tennis, teaching them to play tennis, and coaches them all the way from when they're four until they're 20. And at that point, the parent is in all likelihood probably can't really impact them that much mm -hmm. but they have been there for so long that it's just probably just a mental thing that for the player i have to have my parent here yeah yeah i'm not sure i think that's actually harmful because i think it creates a dependency and people actually get it like since pass gets annoyed when reporters ask him why he's still using his dad as a coach when he can get a real coach he gets annoyed and i think it's because deep down he knows it too like he could probably break out into an even better player with a real coach but he's so dependent on his dad 
because his dad created that dynamic. He coached him since he was so young. Like Sitsipas would essentially be lost without him. So I don't think it's great to have a parent coach. I think you should separate the two. Yeah, but I think it's I think it's hard for both the parent and the player to disengage like that because mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things where there's probably a level of codependency. The yeah. the parent's been involved in the player's game for so long that they don't want to let go of that. And for the player is like, this guy's been with me the entire time. He helped me develop my entire game. Why would I get rid of him now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, plus it's your blood relative. Exactly. You have a personal relationship with this person. You do, but you would think that if they wanted what's best for you, that they would hand over the reins. Yeah. What do you have? What's what's new in the tennis world? Saw this post about Nadal. He turned 37, so happy birthday to Nadal. Happy birthday. Feliz cumpleaños. On his birthday, he had a surgery on his hip, on the left psoas ten, tendon. Whoa. And apparently it went well. That's what the doctors said. What a birthday present had positive signs. I just think it's interesting to know and really hopeful that that means that it is 2024. If it is his last season, that mm-hmm. he'll be able to play at sort of a decent level because I know that Federer in his last few years when he was dealing with all of his injuries and surgeries and stuff like that and all this time off, when he did show up, it was not Federer really. It was yeah. a shell. I hope that we don't see that with Nadal. It would be just tough to see him out there struggling. Yeah, I wonder what his recovery time is going to be. Like, knowing him, he's going to be going full force in therapy and try to get out there as soon as possible. It, it's definitely going to be hard for them to be like, Nadal, you have to take it slow here. And he's like, no, I want to I be out there. So, bet of the week. Choo-choo. All <laughs> aboard the Jari train. I'm hopping oh. on it again. I am taking Jari again this week over in fellow Norwegian Kasparud. Yeah, so... Massive upset. I'm taking the... Uh, the win-win bet again because I love Casper Ruud and I'm taking Jari plus 155 because first of all he beat him in Geneva and I think he'll do it again like watching that match Casper was just pinned on the baseline the whole time whereas Jari was just pummeling the ball left and right and I think it's going to be the same but on the other side you can argue that since Rude has already played him like so recently too, he's made adjustments and he'll give him a better fight. But I'm sticking with Nicolas on this one. Yeah, I mean, he also has that momentum after beating a top player in Tommy Paul. So he probably has a lot of confidence going into this match. So I think that's a pretty reasonable bet. Yeah, who are you going to take this week? I'm taking sort of a, not a straight up bet. My bet is Rune to win the third quarter plus 100. Mm. I like going for the bets that are in the in the plus. I don't really I'm not a big fan of going for the favorite bet, but that's just me. Yeah, that is just you. I think that even if Rude beats Jari, uh it's gonna be a tough match. No matter which one of them makes it through, I think that tires them out and then Rune kind of just slams the door on them and Mm -hmm. he gets that spot in the semis. I like that rationale. Yeah, and Rune also has some momentum because he did beat Rude in Italy. So he yeah, has a little bit of momentum going into this match. If he plays. Right. If, if, if. don't jump the gun now here. Yeah. So, uh, what did you have for your match of the week? Match of the week. I had a thriller this week. So center falls to Altmaier seven, six, six, seven, six, one, six, seven, five, seven. 
This was probably the craziest match I've seen in a while. Definitely one of the matches of the tournament too. So in the fourth set, Sinner had a match, two match points that he couldn't capitalize on. And on one of them, he had an overhead smash that he should have put away, but Altmaier got a racket on it. I actually pieced it up pretty well because Sinner put it right down the middle. And Altmaier's return of the smash, it would have been an easy volley for Sinner to just put away, but it clipped the tape of the net and zoomed by Sinner, landed in, boom, no more match point. Altmaier goes on to win that set and then ultimately wins the whole match too after five match points of having it himself. They were going back and forth with deuces. It had me on the edge of my seat and I was supposed to leave for a flight and I just <laughs> kept pushing back because I wanted to see the end of this match. It was crazy. And yeah. the emotion was wild too. You saw Altmaier acting like he won the tournament. It's like crying after. <laughs> Probably felt like it did to him. I mean, I can't even imagine. Just watching that last game at 6-5, was some of the best tennis, like most exciting to watch I've seen in a while. Just because he goes up in that last, he goes up 40 love. And you're like, mm -hmm. boom, I got it. Pretty much over. Sinner battles back yeah. and has multiple break points. And he had break points where he had easy, or nothing's easy, but he mm -hmm. had shots that could have been put away very reasonably if it wasn't on a match or on a break point. Yeah. And can't put him away, and then Altmaier manages to just wear him down and eventually wins it in that game. And it's, I know. I was pretty upset. I really wanted Sinner to win. Yeah, I, I would would have liked to see I'm a, Sinner, I'm a big, yeah. Sinner make a deeper run. But All right. Who did you have for your match of the week? Uh, my match of the week, honestly, is pretty much just because I'm happy to see this guy win. Monfi grinds Ooh. out the win over Baez. Three six six three seven five one six seven five. Wow. Pretty gutsy performance from Monfi, especially considering how old he is at this point. And I just think it was really interesting that he was able to battle back after that fourth set being so one sided. Mm -hmm. he, he he obviously grinded out the third set, seven five, and then just boom, just gets pretty much just swept out of the game in that six one fourth set. But, and then he was down in the fifth too. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it's just tough to see how a player that was so athletically dominant when he was younger mm -hmm. is just struggling this much on the court now. But it was really cool because it's Monfi's first win since becoming a father. So that's a mm -hmm. pretty cool thing. I was just pretty happy to see him get a win at his home Grand Slam. Yeah, no, it, w it was great to see too, especially at home. But... I was a little upset that he withdrew. You know, he kind of pulled in a doll there. Ah, I don't like that move. Yeah. It is a situation where the winner of that match gets an extra <laughs> like hundred grand. That's true. That's true. So he's not just gonna like be like, oh yeah, Baez, you can go to the next round. Yeah. In because my opinion, Baez should be able to go to the next round for no money. If you could do that, Monfi wins, he advances, he pulls out of that next match. Baez doesn't get the money for advancing to the second round, but if he mm -hmm. wins, he gets the money for advancing to the third round. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, that, that'll never happen, though. They'll never, it, it'll never yeah. happen, but that would be a very cool system if they yeah. set it up that yeah, way. Yeah, definitely. All right, so that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Definitely check us out next week when we recap the whole tournament. 
Uh, let us know what you guys think, and we'll catch you later. All right, and that's the show. If you're not already subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube at Painting Lines Podcast. Feel free to shoot us a DM or email us any questions or thoughts at paintinglinespodcast at gmail.com.